If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I hope everyone is ready for the weekend. Many of us here in the Midwest are finally seeing the sun come out. So I hope everyone can enjoy your weekend and, of course, social distance and get a little sunshine if you're lucky enough. Welcome to another episode of And Security for All. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. If this is your first time tuning into the show, welcome and welcome back to all of our other listeners. I'm also the CEO of FutureCon Events. We produce cybersecurity events all over North America. Normally, I'm traveling all over the country, but of course, for the past year, we've been doing everything virtually, and we are hoping and we're crossing our fingers that we will be back out there third and fourth quarter. FutureCon Events, we bring great content, tons of advice, education, lessons learned for these challenging times of the ever-evolving cyber threats we continue to see on the news almost every day. So the FutureCon community, they keep cybersecurity practitioners updated on the future of the cyber world, and they allow you to interact with your peers and some of the world's largest and biggest security leaders. Today, I have another show with another great industry expert in cybersecurity, and we're going to discuss um, how how nation states are reshaping the cybersecurity landscape. So what does that even mean? We'll break down nation state attacks and some nation state bad actors. 2020 and so far 2021 has been a nightmare really for cybersecurity and IT teams everywhere. December 2020, we had solar winds um, that came around and that um, had been hacked by nation state adversaries believed to be Russia leading to compromise of multiple US government agencies. According to experts and news reports, attacks started targeting a wide range of victims, including government, healthcare, law firms, higher education, defense contractors, policy think tanks, and many, many more. Today, I will be discussing with my guests, now what? What does the future of reshaping the cybersecurity landscape look like? Matt Rosenquist is the Chief Information Security Officer of Eclipse. He was formerly a cybersecurity strategist from Intel Corp and benefits for 30 diverse years in fields of cyber, physical, and information security. Matt is a member of multiple advisory boards and consults on best practices and emerging risks to academic, business, government, audience across the globe. He specializes in security strategy, measuring value, developing best practices for cost-effective capabilities, and establishing organizations that deliver optimal levels of cybersecurity, privacy, ethics, safety, everything we're going to talk about today. He is an experienced keynote speaker, author, and actively collaborates with industry partners to tackle pressing pressing problems on a worldwide range of cybersecurity topics. So welcome to the show, Matthew. Thank you very much. My pleasure to be here. 
Well, Matthew, before we dive into this topic, and I know you have lots to talk about, and this hour is going to probably go by really fast. Um, because we have uh, this show, we have a lot of listeners that are just tuning in to learn a little bit more about cybersecurity. Can you briefly define what you mean by what we're going to talk about nation states? What does that actually mean to the listeners that are trying to wrap their head around this whole cybersecurity world? Right. So when we talk about the bad guys or the attackers when it comes to cybersecurity, there are different archetypes. Um, there are the, on one end of the spectrum, there are kind of the, the script kiddies, people that really don't have any technical skill and maybe they're just clicking a few buttons and they're able to do some harm. On the far end of the spectrum, this is what we talk about when we say nation states. And nation states are cyber programs that are run by governments. And most governments have of some capability out there. So they may actually have personnel badging in every morning, going into buildings and sitting down at their desk and doing offensive cyber operations. Now, there's also another element to this because there's also nation state sponsored. Same idea, a nation is out there and instead of having their own work workers do these actions, they're actually paying either guns for hire or other organizations to do it. So think of it as they're subcontracting out. But the key, key thing to understand here is because it's a government, they have tremendous latitude when it comes to, well, let's say bending the rules or laws or, or acting in certain ways. And they also tend to bring a tremendous amount of resources to the table. That can be money, that could be uh, program management, patience, resilience, um, you know, the willing to in willingness to invest over long periods of time and establish long-term programs for all sorts of end, you know, end goals. And we consider that the top tier because of what these organizations can bring. They can have a staggering impact on the cybersecurity landscape not only for their targets, but for everybody that's connected digitally. Well, and we're going to talk more about in a little bit, some of these nation state actors. And, you know, as I was researching for the show, it was really, really frightening some of the things that are out there. So we're going to get to that shortly. But, you know, the solar wind hacks showed a widespread of damage. We all know about that from a nation state cyber attack, the full extent of the damage. We still don't know what is out there. So what what do you think that current businesses can do to prepare for future threats and and how can they uh, mitigate these future threats that are coming off of still the solar winds stuff? Yeah, the key difference between a nation state and <clears throat> keep in mind a nation state will have more resources, more technical talent, um, you know, more capability, more creativity than any single company or corporation out there. So the dynamic is a little bit different when we're talking at this level. It's really the entire industry working together, trying to put in controls to prevent attacks or minimize them, to detect them when they do come in, and then to be able to effectively respond to a lot of the unique things that this level of adversary can bring to the table. So an individual company by themselves probably doesn't have the capability to resist all nation state attacks, but there are fundamental things that 
they can do to make sure that they're not an easy target. There are fundamentals that they can do to make sure that if they are compromised, they're in the early loop to understand when that happens, to be able to detect it and work with their vendors to make sure that they can get patched or work with their infrastructure uh, you know, folks to make sure that they can manage that crisis to minimize the impacts. So it, a lot of it, it comes down to what are the industry best practices? And for individual sectors, many cases, they're uh, combining resources to be able to watch out for themselves and for each other. And that's, I think, some, some things that we need to talk about in, in what are those best practices, what's working and what's not working so well. And we have been talking a lot about that on some of our past shows, but with this in mind, of course, there's going to be differences between a small company and a huge enterprise company. So for the huge enterprise companies, what are the main nation state threat actors? What what should the businesses be aware of? For larger companies... And it's not just companies, it can be governments, government organizations, it can even be uh, critical infrastructure, right? Think of the power network or food supply network, water, sanitation, um, all those kinds of things. For them, they really have to worry about being directly attacked by a nation state. When we talk about smaller, medium businesses, normally that's not the case. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't get affected because they absolutely do. And attacks that nation states may put out there oftentimes kind of get torn apart and reused by other cyber criminals that then target the small and medium businesses or the individuals. So we all are potentially at risk based upon the actions of nation states. But when we're talking about those big companies or critical infrastructures or governments, in many cases, they, have, they are the target. So there's a lot more focus on the nation state, on the attacker, in understanding what's going to work, how are they going to achieve their specific objective against that target, and then they go through the process of building out what are the vulnerabilities, what are the exploits to those vulnerabilities, how do I test that? How do I integrate that? What infrastructure do I need to build to support those attacks? Now I have to launch them. Then I have the care and feeding of them. And even once they do get a foothold, they typically just don't stay there. They want to move laterally and they want to put other back doors in case they do get evicted or one door is shut. They still have other means to get in. So it becomes a very complex dance. It is a campaign. Um, think warfare, right? It isn't a single battle. It's an entire campaign. And at nation state level, they take it exactly like that, uh, like that type of exercise. There's planning, there's logistics, there's resource allocation, there's even misdirection and, you know, potential use of, of third parties. It is a professional level. And some of these organizations, some of these countries can put tens or hundreds of billions of dollars behind this capability and they continue to grow it because it's in the interest of their nation and, and their policies and so forth. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. We're going to go into some of these nation state bad actors. But can you give our listeners an, a, a, like what is an example of, of a smaller, small to medium sized company that had a ransomware attack? And then some of the things that we've been seeing with the government agencies, you know, in D.C. Can you give us like what is a nation state attack versus a ransomware attack? What are the differences? OK, um, let's use solar 
Winds, right? And Solar Winds was was first identified kind of the end of last year. FireEye identified some of their tools being hacked, and through that investigation, they realized that there was a problem with one of their IT vendors. Now, keep in mind, we've been telling the industry for more than a decade, we really need to be focusing and, and paying more attention to supply chain attacks. And for the most part, people haven't been listening, but okay. So let's jump forward. Now, FireEye, through their investigation, identified a problem with one of their IT vendors, SolarWinds. And SolarWinds provides IT tools basically to manage an infrastructure, to look to see what servers are doing and make sure they're doing okay and, and all these different things. And it's widely used. Now, the attacker that came in, they did what we call as a supply chain attack. They attacked that vendor not because they were interested in what the vendor had, but they wanted to infiltrate the vendor's tools, which is exactly what they did. They compromised the products of this vendor. So when the vendor sent out an update, as most vendors do, right? We get updates to our operating system and our web browser and all sorts of applications. When that update got sent out and people installed it, it included a backdoor and a capability for the nation state to gain access to that environment and to do so in such a way that they had tremendous permissions and rights. In fact, they were able to get in well under the detection capabilities of normal anti-malware. It just so happened this particular vendor's product, when you install it, most um, you know, anti-malware, antivirus would flag it and go, hey, wait, I don't like this because it's asking for so much permissions. And so the process, the defined process was to turn that alert off for that software. So when this you know, new update came in, they had, the attackers had tremendous potential latitude to go anywhere, to do anything and load what they wanted to load as further attacks to, to compromise email systems or grab data files or even um, you know, kind of muck with the integrity. So this is considered a supply chain attack. And this is one vendor. A larger organization may have several thousand vendors but this was one. And through that, they were able to uh, basically expose uh, what almost, almost all of the Fortune 500 companies, I think it was about 460 something of the Fortune 500 companies, all of the United States telecoms, um, huge amounts of critical infrastructure uh, organizations, uh, US government organizations, including Department of Defense, the White House, things of that sort. Now, not all of them, so many were available to the attacker. The attacker didn't actually have time to go in and hack each one, but they had the ability to once that was uploaded. Um, they estimate that over 18,000 organizations were left exposed because of this one supply chain hack. And it well, was professional. The code was incredible. What they had to develop was incredible. Thousands of hours were put into this. Probably tens of millions of dollars were invested by that attacker, by that nation state to make this happen. But it paid off, paid off big. So I'm not a cybersecurity expert like you, but I'm lucky enough to get to talk to people like you. And I found it really 
interesting last night when I was doing some research on some of these nation state bad actors that some of them are hidden cyber army or ha- hackers for hire for companies in different nations. They get paid to do this and, you know, they know exactly what they're getting into. I guess there's no legal ramifications for what they do, according to some of the articles I read, but this is a tactical thing that these different nations are doing. So what insight can you share? share with our listeners of who are these nation state back bad actors and and how, like just kind of break that down for us that this because i don't think do we do this in the united states i don't know okay so this is where it gets complicated first and foremost expect every major nation and most smaller nations around the globe to have some level of cyber capability okay every single one And the bigger the nation, expect the more the investment. Um, There is an interesting twist here. Like the handgun of of the Wild West, it was kind of an equalizer, right? Anybody who had one was now dangerous. You didn't have to spend years learning how to use a bow and arrow. You were given this and and anybody uh, could cause great harm. This is the same case with cyber warfare. So even small nations now, ones that can't field major military or, or anything, still can invest and be a major player in the cyber world. You don't have to have a physical border with the country that you don't like to attack them. You can attack anybody around the world. Now, big countries like uh, the United States, Russia, China, so forth, you know, we've already had infrastructures within our governments to do spying and covert operations. Cyber operations is simply another extension, an addition to that capability. So all the countries out there have some kind of offensive and defensive capability. Many countries out will only are really kind of using it to, you know, go external and targeting other countries uh, to promote policies or, or whatnot, in some cases to augment warfare and, and what have you. There are a subset of countries and regimes that are also pointing those weapons inward toward their own population to be able to identify outliers, maybe people that are speaking out against the government um, or uh, somebody that's causing internal social disruption, right? Somebody that doesn't like the regime and they're using them to target them and in some cases remove them from the equation. And we saw that during Arab Spring. We saw that where countries were identifying people in the streets that were protesting for more freedoms and independence. Um, And there were reports that those people were then visited in the middle of the night and whisked away, never to be heard from again. Uh, We've heard reports of similar things happening in in major countries, world powers, where cyber tools are used to track people, identify uh, people that the government may not like, and put them into re-education camps or put them in prison, or they simply disappear. So you've got outward forces where you're looking maybe to affect a government that you don't like, maybe change who's in control or their policies or the way the population thinks or believes. Uh, You may point them inward to do the same thing, right? To support your regime. There are, you know, countries out there that are, you know, trying to make people believe that their ruler is superhuman for whatever reason, right? And again, if you control the media, if you control the stories, 
then it's pretty easy to manipulate what people think and believe. And that also is one of the tools that cyber offensive warfare can approach. So let's kind of start talking about some of the defenses that we can look at to prevent these attacks, you know, and we're going to talk about supply chain later, but do you, you know, how can, with the current state of supply chain, can we avoid acquiring technology from companies based in nations that pose threats? The honest answer is no. Right now, there has not been much of an emphasis over the past 20 years at looking at some supply chain. <clears throat> About nine or 10 years ago, you know, we were screaming, the security folks were screaming so much and um, IT tools and other services were causing a little bit of problem, uh, not by nation states, just by not very secure practices. And so within the industry, there grew kind of a grassroots effort to say, let's at least vet our third party partners and vendors and suppliers. And so that's evolved and we've got a couple of, you know, standards out there or certifications and, and typical best practices are, is, you know, you would send out a questionnaire. You send a questionnaire and I've seen some of them that are less than 30 questions. I've seen others that are four or 500 questions and have your vendor answer those. And then you review them and you get an understanding of whether they're secure, kind of trustworthy or not, whether they meet your standards. And if so, great, let them in, right? But at least there's a door check, if you will, right? We're gonna check IDs at the door. But once they're inside, there's very little nowadays, you know, people don't scrutinize patch updates or look at errata documents as, you know, services or code change over time. Uh, you may revisit a larger, a lot of the larger organizations will revisit that questionnaire with that vendor maybe once a year and ask, hey, has anything changed? But they're not actually going in and validating it. They're not verifying it either to, to make sure that they are being secure and maybe what they've said is actually true. It's pretty easy to answer a question. And yes, 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 we're awesome, we're awesome, we're awesome. But if you don't have the resources to follow up with them and truly understand, are they being 100% forthright? Are they being ethical? Or do they just want to close the deal? Now you got problems. And that's kind of where we're at now. We've done cursory controls, but that's not sufficient. And solar winds has been a huge slap in the face to the industry to say, yeah, that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Right? And now we've got nation state actors that are using this technique and the ones that succeeded in that attack they're totally motivated i guarantee you money has just been reallocated from other projects into this type of attack so they're going to continue to do it and every other country now that has seen how well it works oh they've killed off other projects to reallocate resources so they can duplicate this level of success so the game has changed Every major nation state and every major offensive cyber program, offensive ones, are going to go down this path. And they're going to try and undermine, you know, vendors, whether it's IT vendors, security vendors, cloud vendors, whatever, because they know if they get, if they get a win, it's huge. And we were fortunate, and we're going to talk a little bit about solar winds later on, but we were fortunate that the attacker in this case was not trying to cause harm because if they did this country would be completely different than it than it is today well right? 
So if you could rewind the clock and go all the way back to January of 2020, you know, I think businesses were far, they were far less fearful than they are today. So what do you think that their thoughts are one year later after seeing what's happened? I mean, how active now... Yeah, some of them are still in firefight mode. They're still trying to figure out, okay, I got, not only was I exposed, they did come in and I'm trying to figure out what other back doors they installed and what they actually grabbed, what they changed. I don't know. Let's try and figure that out, right? And again, attackers, they're dynamic. As you close one door, they're looking to open up another. So, you know, it's really trying to understand what is that damage and the information they did get, what are they going to be able to derive from that and how will they use that to attack us next time? Mm -hmm. So there's still a lot of that, oh no, I don't know what I don't know. I'm still trying to get my heads around it. So, you know, companies right now are trying to clean up and understand the ramifications. But at the same time, I can tell you in the last six months, probably 80% of the conversations and the the backroom discussions with my peers have been around supply chain attacks and oh no what are we going to do really what are we all going to do one group one organization one security company can't solve this we have to work together and you know i'll give credit out to um to you know, the companies that worked that original SolarWinds, right? Microsoft was there, FireEye was pivotal. FireEye very quickly started communicating. Even before they had all the facts, right? All the right. details, they were quick to let people know, to bring in partners like Microsoft to help figure it out and raise the alarms. That's huge. And that's something we have to continue to do. Not all companies would do that. Many companies would turn around and say, no, I, I want to research it all so that I can use it for marketing and show how my security company is better than the rest. And ultimately, it's not, the competition isn't about one security versus another. It's about all of us against the bad guys. Well, and that's and one of the big lessons. And we're down to about two minutes before we take a break. But, you know, it also goes back to the we've been discussing on many of our shows, the human element, you know, and that that's a whole show. But again, I think it still goes along. You know, there was a recent report that one of my uh, panelists, they're going to be talking about that 99% of IT managers are having trouble securing like their uh, IoT devices. And I don't want this show to be about IoT devices, but <laughs> we're still back because that's another show. But we're still back. Back to the human element of, you know, and we have about one minute. What's your thought about that? Yeah, real short. Uh, the reality is for cybersecurity, think of it as a coin. On one side, you have the technology. On the other side, you have the behaviors. Connecting that edge is the process that connects them both. You can't deal with cybersecurity without addressing everything. It's the technology, it's the behaviors, and it's the process. If you try and leave one out, you're going to fail. Well, we're going to come back um, on this. We're going to take a short commercial break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about supply chain. And I'd like to talk to you about like some of the government agencies and the municipalities, you know, the issues that they feel that they're having. So we'll take a quick break and then we will come back and we will finish this great topic with Matthew and we'll be with Matthew Rosenquist, CISO cybersecurity strategist from Eclipse. We'll be back shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Are you a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureConHQ. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to And Security for All with Kim Hakem. To reach the show today with your questions or comments for Kim or her guest, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to khakem at futureconevents.com. Now back to And Security for All. Welcome back to the show and security for all. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. And today I have Matthew Rosenquist. He's the chief information security officer for Eclipse. The first half of the show, we've discussed how nation states are reshaping the cybersecurity landscape. Matthew, we've talked about a lot of different pieces of where we are today, how we got here. Going back to my comment in the first half of the show, I mentioned uh, just an article I read that 2020 and so far, 2021, and we all know this, I didn't have to read it in an article, has been a nightmare for cybersecurity and IT teams everywhere. So let's start talking about the future of exactly how do nation states reshape the cybersecurity landscape? What predictions are you seeing to resolve the state of cybersecurity for the remaining of this year and years to come? Oh, wow. Okay. That's a a big question. question. Yeah. Yeah. So first, let's say that there is no clear path for success where, oh, we're done. It's right. Security is always an ongoing endeavor. We have highly intelligent adversaries. And so it is a constant struggle. It is a, a, a state of adaptation at all times. And we would never get to absolute security. It's a myth. It doesn't exist. And even if it did, it'd be 
so expensive and so, you know, so much friction to use, nobody would want it. So when we talk about nation states, given their vast amount of resources, they bring some very interesting challenges to the table for the cybersecurity industry. And when I say the cybersecurity industry, it's not just the security vendors or security services. It's also the security personnel that are in the companies and even individuals who are trying to be secure in their personal life and protect their own digital, digital assets and, and capabilities, right? So that's the whole industry. And how do we get and protect them more and better? Um, and again, you'll never get to 100%. But there are several kind of aspects that we have to look at. First off, we have to understand that, well, there's a myth out there. And if you talk to small and medium companies, many times they'll go, I'm not worried about nation states. I'm too small. I'm insignificant. I, I, I make you know, nuts and bolts in my factory, right? I make shoes. And that simply isn't true because here's what happens. Nation states have the re resources to identify so many new vulnerabilities because they're going to use those. They're going to exploit those for their specific targets. And again, the tar target may not be that shoe company or, or, or somebody, you know, selling flowers out of their, their house. They're going to go after the big companies, but they're going to identify these vulnerabilities and they're going to weaponize them. And as soon as they unleash that to the world, right, everybody gets to see it. And what you have is you have a lot of security researchers and other types of attackers that will grab that because this could be millions of dollars worth of vulnerabilities. In fact, some vulnerabilities can go for well over a million dollars. A single zero-day vulnerability can be sold on the open market for over a million dollars. So again, it's very, very valuable information. They grab it. They break apart whatever that nation state has been doing and they start using pieces of it for their own malware, for their own attacks. And those cyber criminals, for example, may be targeting that shoe company, maybe targeting with ransomware or something else, right? And everybody, whether it's grandma checking her email, whether it's the shoe company, whether it's a medium-sized business, whether it's a nonprofit organization, everybody's at risk. So there is a cascade effect. These big investments get filtered down and reused, repurposed by other attackers, and that's a risk to us all. So the first thing is we have to understand it's everybody's problem. So let's not you know, discount it. Let's not you know, push it off. So we all have to work together. And again, there's not a single company that has the resources that can match what even just one or two of these nation states can bring to bear. It takes a team effort. So the second thing is we have to get those big players, the big companies and big security organizations and big critical infrastructure government working together to understand and alert and also, well, I'll get to it in a second, but work and collaborate together when they're seeing things going on in the industry and then be able to rapidly respond to it. Now, the third thing, and this is really important, is the creators of technology, whether it be your cloud service, your operating, the application that you use, um, the hardware, the CPU, or any of that, any of those creators, innovators, 
they need to start getting better at making sure their products are hardened, that their products have the capabilities to resist attacks or at least alert, quickly alert when something is going wrong. And at the same time, they need to be ready. When the rest of the world detects something, hey, there's something wrong with this piece of hardware you created or this software you wrote, they need the capability to be able to rapidly understand that and work with the industry to figure out what's going on and create a fix for it. Because it's only going to be those vendors that can patch their own products. So, there's a lot of things that has to happen that right now, hmm, it's not happening very well and it's not happening consistently and it's not happening in, in a cohesive manner. So nation states are free to run amok. They really are. And those second tier attackers that are using the knowledge from the nation states, they're also have huge windows of opportunities now to take advantage of, of, of the larger investments that are being made by nation states. Well, that kind of, sorry to cut you off, but I'm just going to drive us a little bit into supply chain and Mm -hmm. because that kind of goes hand in hand also with the future of landscaping of cybersecurity. When I pre-show, we talked about, you know, what we were going to discuss and you wanted to talk about the two sides of the supply chain and the insecurity and ensuring that, you know, third-party vendors, suppliers, and your partners, that they're being secure and what happens, you know, I want to talk about what happens if I had a group of CISOs that were on a panel and they were all from the municipalities and they feel like they're handcuffed to some of these supply chain contracts they're in and what happens when those third parties or partners they have attacks how does that flow over to them so let's let's that's a huge yeah let's I don't know where you want to start with that no this gets really deep and and okay so let's role play a little bit let's say we're a company right and um we do whatever right we're we're a media company um we've got we use the cloud we've got a data center we've got some servers we've got email and all that we've got applications we have to think okay well who are our suppliers well all right let me think um i use the cloud so maybe it's aws maybe it's azure microsoft or google okay great i have to worry about their vulnerabilities. But wait a second, they're also using software within their environments. So, you know, Office 365, well, I got to worry about the vulnerabilities in that too. And well, what about the operating system that sits under it? Yeah, I got to worry about the operating system too. Vulnerabilities there also can be compromised. Well, wait a second, do I also have to worry about the virtual machines on the system? Yeah. Um, What about the firmware that's underneath that? Well, yeah, you got to worry about vulnerabilities. Well, what about the hardware? What if the CPU gets hacked? Oh, yeah, definitely have to worry about that. So the supply chain, it doesn't just stop with your cloud vendor or, you know, your SolarWinds vendor. Um, It's everything that they're using, too. And that's why we call it a chain. And it's a chain of everything they're using and their partners are using and on and on and on. And so we have to look at it from that, uh, you know, sometimes we describe it as a, as a cake, a layered cake. We have to worry about the data. We have to worry about the applications. We have to worry about the virtual environments. We have to worry about the operating systems and the VMMs under that. We have to worry about the firmware and the hardware. Oh, <laughs> that's what I have to worry about. Oh, sure. Easy. It's not easy. And most organizations don't even see the depth of the problem there. 
But if a hacker, for example, can go to uh, AMD or Intel or compromise ARM technology and they can compromise a CPU, it doesn't matter what security software you have running. It won't matter. They won't even, the security software that you're running won't even see what's going on. We'll have zero opportunity to see it or interdict it. Right. So again, there's lots, this is a very, very complex problem. And uh, the best minds in cybersecurity are trying to figure this out. And to be honest, we haven't figured out an answer yet because whatever we figure out not only has to be technically um, credible, right, to be able to be effective, it also has to fit into the business world. If it costs every company a billion dollars to do this, nobody's going to adopt it, right? So it has to be financially feasible. And it also, from a business perspective, you can't introduce too much friction into the world. Can you imagine a, a software company telling you, oh, by the way, you need to have a 256 character password and I want you to change it every day? Yeah, you're not going to use that vendor. Right. <laughs> sure, it's more secure, but guess what? Nope, moving on. There's too much friction. So there's, a, there's an optimal balance in there as we evolve, but we have to evolve faster given the threat and how potent these nation states are. Being at the pinnacle of that threat pyramid, how capable that they are. And so right now, now we're in that frantic state of what can we do and what should we be thinking about long term? So what do you, th I had, I mentioned that I had some government, they were all chief security officers of different um, mm -hmm. counties in Dallas and, and, and Texas. And I just, I can't imagine doing their job. I mean, what do you think are their biggest fears right now? I, I, I mean, they have the world, the weight of the world on their shoulders, I feel like, especially when they are locked into some contracts with companies that are having issues. So what, what would you say to them? What would your advice be to them? Well, because they can't fix the issues in their vendors, right? Um, one, again, follow best practice. Make sure you vet your vendors. And I think the easiest thing to do is to take that up a notch, right? Start working more closely with them, making sure that you don't have that 30-question questionnaire, that you're actually having conversations and you're documenting a lot more and you're better understanding how they're developing products and how they're securing their infrastructure and what issues they're having. You should be having conversations with your with their CISO, CISO to CISO. That's what I like to see because, again, we're peer community and, and we share a lot because we know we have to. It's, it's important. So build the relationship. Take it to another notch with your suppliers. The second thing that you have to do is you have to be prepared because it's going to be a surprise. If a supplier gets hacked and you eventually find out about it, you, you, it, it will be a total surprise and you then have to have the tools, the planning and the skill set to then be able to rapidly react because now loss is happening. You need to minimize it. So it's all about crisis response and that would include disaster recovery and business continuity. So make sure you have those capabilities, those plans, the buy-off with senior executives and with the other C-suite partners because it's going to impact them and they are crucial to making any type of crisis plan actually work. So, you know, if you can't prevent it, 
you have to be able to rapidly detect it. And once you detect it, you then have to be able to act. And the last thing you want to do is go, oh, my goodness, you know, I have to start at square one. I don't even know what to do. The pain and suffering that you will have will be tremendous. This is compared to somebody who pulls a book off the, a crisis book off the shelf and goes, I know exactly what to do. I know who to call. They know what to do. We already have canned responses. We're going to be able to react to this, contain it, minimize it, and be able to, to recover extraordinarily fast. It becomes a business advantage, by the way. It, and it can become a competitive advantage as this heats up and we see more and more attacks in the industry. So I wonder how often, I love that your advice about having the CISO talk to the supplier CISO. I imagine that's not really happening a lot. So I, I think that's great advice for a lot of CISOs out there. So it, it because it's usually the rep, you know, the supplier yes. rep. So that's that's what they do. That's their business. So how are there are there security requirements? Are there security standards that a supplier must pass? Is it just that questionnaire you talked about? And yes, and the questionnaires can vary. They can vary by company. There aren't really any good standards because, again, every service and product or relationship or how something's being used, how much access you're going to give to somebody may vary from vendor to vendor or even from customer to customer. So, you know, there isn't a perfect template, but for organizations that are building a third-party vetting program, a cybersecurity vetting program, they tend to start with a set of questions and they build upon it. And then every time there's a change to their business, hey, we're going to get into this new market or, hey, we're going to go after these customers or, or great, now I need to go back, reevaluate those questions to our third parties, and I may have to add more and more and more. And I may need to understand that. And all that, that data needs to then be assessed or reassessed because you have to make some risk decisions on what, you know, you're willing to accept. And you may push, push back to the vendor and go, I know last year the way you did, you know, your notifications or, or firewall security or whatever was fine. But now because of our business has changed, that's no longer acceptable. That creates too great of an exposure for us. We're going to request X, Y, and Z. And that becomes part of the negotiation. And that negotiation shows our ability to adapt. And that's the name of the game for cybersecurity. It's constantly changing. It is chaos and ambiguity. That's the the world we live in. And the way we survive and thrive is our ability to adapt. So do you think that, you know, we all know how long it takes to do anything with the government. I was in the Navy. (laughs) You know, it takes, you know, sometimes reps don't want to work with government agencies because, you know, it could be a couple of years before you can get that contract. So I, I would imagine in that contract, there's a lot of language that protects them. But do you think it makes our government more vulnerable because they are not in a position, you know, they sign these long term contracts. And what happens if that third party you know, vendor has issues, how, how vulnerable now is the government? And we've been hearing tons of government attacks. Yeah. And again, everybody is learning right now. Nobody has written the perfect playbook and nobody is perfectly secure, especially for supply chain security, right? Um, you know, the government or any organization that's writing contracts, they need to start thinking about, okay, the, there needs to be verbiage in the contract to make sure that both of us can adapt as the industry and the threat landscape changes. 
If you're writing something static, and it doesn't matter if it's a contract or a piece of software or a process, if it remains static, it becomes caustic over time. Right? So everything around cybersecurity, whether it is code or business process or policy or contracts, it has to be crafted in a way that it is expected to bend, flex, and improve over time. We have to bake that flexibility in. Otherwise, we're doing ourselves a disservice and we're boxing ourselves in, we're painting ourselves into a corner. And we can't do that. We have to think ahead. This is a strategic game. This is not a single battle. This is a forever war that we must fight. We have to think ahead. So when we come back to solar winds, so how is that company after all this has happened? Are they, what's going on with the company? There's massive turmoil, right? With this particular yeah, company. They, yeah. they lost executives and, and they tried to bring in and, you know, bring they are bringing in other security experts to help out and give insights. They're trying to reassure their customers. Um, and they probably didn't handle it. If they look back on it, they probably would say they, they sh- could have handled it better. Uh, but again, you also have to give them a little credit because this is uncharted territory. So give them a little latitude uh, in, in how they responded. But we can't have those type of failures again. And it's really about that's a lesson for everybody. Every product vendor uh, out there should be thinking in terms that I have to make sure my products are robust and hardened. And if something does go wrong, I'm ready to respond, right? You have to worry about that to make sure you don't represent a threat to your customers. Now, at the same time, you also have to worry about your own suppliers, and partners and vendors and protecting your own environment. So there's always those two aspects that companies have to look at when we talk about supply chain security, threats to your environment and the fact that you could be a threat to your customers' environments. Well, and it's happening every day. We read about these vendors almost on a daily basis getting Mm -hmm. hacked. Many of them are the vendors that are at my shows. And so it's not going to stop. I, I, but how, what, what's the hardship on them when this happens? There is hardship on them. And sometimes it's easy to vilify them, but even some of the very best companies, because they are so big and prominent, they are being targeted, not only by one nation state, but possibly by them all, mm-hmm. right? And it's not, they're just facing one, you know, uh, big threat. It's all of them. Um, you know, Microsoft just came out uh, earlier this year where their exchange platform was hacked. And all indicators show that it was a nation state uh, and the nation state was a very professional attack. And that impacted their customers uh, to a huge extent, huge extent. Anybody that had an exchange server on-prem was basically compromised. So, um, or potential of compromise, right? They were, they were open, exposed. Uh, and the attacker, that particular attacker was different than the attacker in SolarWinds, which looked for very precision kind of data this attacker and from this nation that we believe uh, is more of the, I'm going to compromise and vacuum up everything that isn't locked down. I'm going to copy everything and I'll sort it out later. So it's a completely different type of attack. And that's very concerning, especially to a communications capability like an exchange server. So, you know, we have to worry about things like that. And 
Google, uh, Google Zero uh, team, which is their security research team, phenomenal team, by the way, uh, they just announced that they identified an attacker that they've been tracking for a while, um, that in just this last month, they identified this particular attacker in using seven zero days. Now, again, a zero day is an unknown vulnerability. Nobody knows about it. So you've discovered no, something nobody knows, and therefore there's no patch for it. There's no no defense against it. And so finding one zero day is pretty impressive. This particular attacker chained seven zero days together. And just earlier in the year, the same attacker chained another four. So in the end, it was 11 zero days that this one nation state was able to chain together to undermine the security of fully patched Windows systems, Android systems, and iOS systems. This is the level of gamemanship that we're at. And that, that's unprecedented, right? That's a top tier. You're probably talking hundreds of thousands of hours and tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars that was necessary to establish that attack and compromise. How that's many, what you're facing. Well, how many attacks do you think that some of these companies are stopping? I mean, if you had to do a ratio of, one out of 10 or whatever it might be. We'll never know, right? Because there's a lot of zero days that nobody knows about and an attacker goes in and, um, you know, can compromise them and just remain quiet and stealthy. And you just don't know. You know, the, the average time somebody sits, is able to compromise and sit inside of a company is near 200 days, right? And then you've got another 40 days before you finally evict them. And that's the average. And those are yeah. just the ones we know of. Right. So that average, I guarantee you, is higher because there's a whole number of them that we don't know. So for the last minute, we're, we're almost out of time. What are some of your final thoughts of the future of our industry and how to continue to enforce zero trust and keep our environment secure? Real straightforward. Number one, supply chain. This is going to be something that we're talking and trying to address at least for the next year. And it's going to take everybody on deck, everybody to try and figure out what the next series of best practices that we need to institute as an entire industry. Uh, the current set are woefully insufficient. We now know that. We have proof of that. So this is a work in progress. Everybody has a role. Uh, and, it, you know, we have to, as a community, come together and work, figure out what those best practices. And that takes communication. That takes a willingness to sacrifice and allocate resources for the greater good. And we have to work together. If we don't, if we don't work together, if we don't collaborate, there is no way that we can even keep pace with the ev uh, evolution of, of the cyber threats. And we need to actually gain ground. So we have to work together. So Matthew Rosenquist, CISO and cybersecurity strategist from Eclipse. Thank you for sharing all your insights on our show today. We would love to have you back again. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you for all the work that you're doing. For all of our listeners, you can um, follow Matthew. Where can people find you, Matthew? You can follow me on LinkedIn. I also have a Cybersecurity Insights YouTube channel that you can uh, follow. I do various videos, rants, and teardowns of different types of attacks, and I talk a lot about the strategic impacts of things that are going on in our industry. And that's a Cybersecurity Insights channel on YouTube. 
Excellent. Thank you for being here. Thank you for all of our listeners. Um, please follow our podcast. You can follow it on any of your favorite podcast stations, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Google Play Store, wherever you like to watch your podcast. And we look forward to having you come back next week for another episode of And Security for All. Stay safe, stay secure, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for tuning into and security for all be sure to join your host kim hakem for another episode of the show next friday at noon pacific time and 3 p.m eastern time on the voice america business channel and don't forget you can follow kim on linkedin by searching for kim hakem that's kim h-a-k-i-m to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events